You know what, sometimes we use words loosely, isn't it? I remember, I've heard people, when they talk about po political issues, they say, man, I got a choice between Barack Obama and John McCain, McCain. And I have to choose the lesser of two evils. You've heard people say that? That's a rather loose use of that term, the lesser of two evils. Now, I'm not saying they're evil, but we use the words very loosely nowadays. And so sometimes it confuses people when we use terminology very loosely. Or, for, or for example, you go through the cafeteria line. I know, Beth, you were there. And then some people come through the line and they say, oh, no, I hate sloppy joes. And I hate those veggies. And I have to choose the lesser of two evils. Uh, my wife, Linda, says, my wife, Linda, says, that's not a moral dilemma. She says that's a morsel dilemma. Okay? It's a morsel. It's not a moral dilemma. So sometimes our words are just, you know, we, we, we create our own problems. There is another choice. Most of us can go without it. Isn't that true? Go out, get some lots of water, get some lots of fresh air, and, uh, you know, enjoy the day. So, anyway, um, I want to spend a little time here on stories and contemporary issues. I know this is a hot topic, and, uh, but the, the reality, we have to look at it, folks. We are facing all kinds of problems nowadays, and uh, the standards are going down, are slipping. But you know what's interesting? This is what's fascinating for me. What is most interesting is to see how people out there are addressing these issues. For example, how many of you have heard of Melinda Gates? A few hands? Let's try again. How many of you have heard of Bill Gates? <laughs> well, Melinda is his wife. And what's interesting, I want to show you, uh, they talk about Melinda Gates. And um, so we're going to come to that in a minute. But you know what's fascinating? Before we get to Melinda, just keep her in mind. She is the wife of the richest man in the world. He's been considered the richest man for the last 10 to 15 years straight. OK, why do I mention Melinda? Hold on. This was in Entertainment Weekly. And in Entertainment Weekly, talking about standards and styles, November 16, 2007, notice what it says. After years of waistlines so low, they verged on pornographic. I said, Entertainment Weekly says that? <laughs> wow. That is interesting for Entertainment Weekly to recognize that the styles, uh, gentlemen, I'm coming to you in a minute. Don't, uh, don't get too on your high horse yet, uh, guys. We're talking firstly about women. Entertainment Weekly admits that the style that the women have been wearing borders on pornography. That's Entertainment Weekly. After years of waistlines so low they verge on pornographic, fashion has turned to the other extreme, high-waisted pants. Waste, you know, crazy things. But fashion always goes to extremes, as you know. I found that very interesting. They recognize that uh, the clothing that has been promoted borders on pornography. Strong words. Gentlemen, are you listening? Cities are cracking down on saggy pants. <laughs> saggy pants. Yes, yes. Very interesting. Did you know that? It, it depends on where you are. If you're in, in Louisiana, Del Cambra, I think it is, the town passed an ordinance that carries a fine up to $500 or six months in jail for exposing underwear in public. And I say, amen. Yes. 
Several other municipalities in Louisiana have enacted similar laws in recent months. Where does the style of saggy pants come from? Guess what? It comes from prison, where inmates aren't given belts with baggy pants to prevent from them from hanging themselves and from beating each other. So people who wear saggy pants, guess who their models are? Prisoners. Yuck. You don't want to have a prisoner as your model? We've been talking about who is our model. Now, now, we're not saying don't go visit the prisoners and bring them to Jesus. Please do that, okay? But these are not our models. These are the people we need to reach for the Lord. And the saggy pants show your bottoms or your underwear is a prison issue. Wow. Be careful. And it's recognized. And you know what's sad? There are some people that are not converted. They don't come to the church. Listen to this guy. Listen to this. I had the opportunity to become a friend of a Muslim. We started talking about things. Eventually, he was almost persuaded to become a Christian. However, I'm quoting, he could not bring himself, the Muslim, to enter a Christian church because of the irreverence and indecent dress he saw among Christians in church. The Muslim said, I can't go there. Why not? He believed that church is a house of God and that he could not escape God's judgment if he allowed himself among people who showed such disrespect in God's presence. Wow! What am I saying? How we dress is a positive or a negative witness. Fascinating. Melinda Gates. Listen to what they say about her. She was, by the way, the top the, the 50. They have the top 50 women in the world. Women to watch. 50 women to watch. Top of the list, Melinda Gates. Not because of money, but because of the charity and because of the work she is doing. And then they end up right at the bottom. You've noticed I put it in yellow. Listen to what they say about Melinda Gates. She asks smart questions, said David Heyman, H-E-Y-M-A-N-N, a World Health Organization veteran. Okay? She's so humble in her interactions with others. Now listen to the last, the last line. Listen to what she's, they say here. She's modest in dress as well, wearing a blue work shirt and slacks or long skirt. One more line. It's an image crafted to reflect the gravity of her mission. Yes. Melinda Gates dresses modestly because of the gravity of her mission. What's her mission? to educate people, to try to help people with AIDS. And my question is, how much more grave a mission don't we as Christians have? Should we not similarly attire ourselves in accord with the gravity, the seriousness of our mission? What do you say? Amen. Yeah. Let's get serious. Let's not simply follow the prisoners <laughs> or the prostitutes the way they're dressing now we're not we're not attacking them go out and reach them and bring them to the lord okay but don't follow their fashions and i say wow thank god for a melinda gates who dresses in accord with the gravity of our mission those of you who need to put your names on here please do so okay has everybody done it here no. okay we'll go here we'll go to the back and then we'll come over here session number three now, now let me be positive and show you how it's done 
you know, because it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Remember, right at the beginning, I started about that story with my uncle, how he rejected my message, God's message, and then he accepted it because I had changed my approach. <laughs> and he said, I said, what happened to your uncle? He's, why, when did, why did you change? He said, I didn't change. You did. Sometimes it's the messenger. And I remember one day meeting somebody who was interested in Bible studies. And, and when I got to see this young lady, I noticed that she had earrings that she wore every week, every time we got together. And eventually by the third or fourth week, I couldn't keep my mouth. I said, I notice you wear the same earrings every week. Why? She said, oh, they are an heirloom from my grandmother. They were hers. They are very precious to me. Ah, okay. What did I do? I encouraged her every day. I gave her a Bible right at the beginning. As we started our Bible study, I said, Val, read the Bible every day. Spend time in the Word. Dig in the Word. And she began to do that. We had the Bible study week after week after week. And one day she showed up without those precious earrings. And me, I couldn't keep quiet. <laughs> I said, hey, you said those earrings were precious. I, I don't see that you have them on. Listen to Val's reply. I wrote it down. She said, I was reading the Bible. And I found out that a Christian woman's beauty is an inward adornment. So I took them off. Amen. Those precious earrings, yes, so I took them off. An inward adornment. What had I done? By God's grace, I had focused on Jesus, not the jewels. Encouraged her to read the Word of God. And that brought conviction to her heart. So again, focus on Jesus. Bring people to the Word. Encourage them. She says, I, I'm a Christian. I need an inward adornment. And when we talk about that, because you see, the Bible says in Peter, the, the way you live, the way you dress, attracts or, of course, uh, sends people away from Jesus Christ. The NIV calls about your good behavior in Christ. The people must see what a New English translation, see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Isn't that exciting? The way you live becomes a witness. So as we talk about standards, as we talk about choices, as we talk about how to live for the Lord, remember how we live is a positive or a negative witness. And you know what's interesting? There are communions, churches, the mainline churches, by the way. The evangelical churches are growing. You know that. But did you know that the mainline churches are dying? Did you know that in Canada? Who's from Canada here? Anybody from Canada? No Canadians? Oh, one Canadian. Okay, Hannah. But did you know that in Canada? They're, they've calculated that by the year 2061, I know it's long, okay, that's 50-something uh, years from now, but they've calculated at the current rate of the decline of the Anglican church. In the year 2061, if the Lord doesn't come, there'll be two Anglicans left in the entire church in Canada. Two! That's the rate at which they are losing members. They aren't remaining stagnant. They are losing members so fast that by 2061, at the rate, of, consistent rate of the death of the church, that's, the, that's, that's what will happen. Two members left. Okay? These are actual reports. And, and, and the, the churches, they, they decided back in the 1960s. And now, two psychologists, sorry, sociologists, right here at the University of California, they decided to do a study of churches between 1960 and 1990, a 30-year longitudinal study. What happens when churches become more accommodating, more loving, in quotes, and less judgmental? Let the standards down so that people won't leave. They studied several churches. I have the, uh, the book that they published, Secular Press, Acts of Faith, from the University of California, Acts of Faith. They concluded the following. Notice, 
this is their study. I'm not attacking these churches. They've studied them. Five churches lost on average 43% of their members as they became more accommodating, as they let their standards down, as they became less judgmental and less and more so-called loving. The United Presbyterian Church lost 34%. United Church of Christ lost 48% of their members. Episcopal Church, 46%. American Baptists lost 50%. And United Methodists lost 39%. As they became, quote-unquote, more so-called tolerant. Now, we're not suggesting we be judgmental. We're saying, hold biblical standards high. Amen. Now, let me give you a contrast. In 1978, Karl Wojcielik, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, became the Pope. He became Pope John Paul II. Okay? This side here hasn't signed. Pope John Paul II, he became the new Pope in 1978. They watched what happened in the Catholic Church for 25 years. Now, he died in 2005, you remember. But from 1978 to 2003, guess what happened? 25 years, Pope John Paul spoke very strongly for commitment to hold high Catholic standards, the standards of their church. He said absolutely no to abortion, absolutely no to homosexual practice being acceptable, no to female priests. He said these are the Catholic standards. Guess what happened in the Catholic Church? Collapse, die, explosive growth. Globally, more than 40% of uh, growth amongst the Catholic Church. 41% growth in the Catholic Church when Pope John Paul said, let's get serious about our religion. The church grew. So I'm telling you, many of you young people, young people, it's not true that you, if you lower the standards, people will flock in. Because they'll look and they'll say, oh, it's the same in the world. Why should I join the church that is just like the world I'm out here for? It doesn't make any sense. So I'm suggesting, and not suggesting, I'm calling upon you to hold high, Christ-centered, compassionate, biblical standards. Are we together? Christ-centered, compassionate. In fact, the Methodist, Dean Kelly, came to the Adventist at Andrews University, and he said, you want to be like the rest of us and die? I'm quoting, if Adventists want to stop growing and be, be can, begin declining like everybody else, all they have to do is emphasize that abstinence from alcohol, tobacco, and caffeine isn't really essential to salvation. He carries on and he says, give up all these strange practices and guess what? You'll die like the rest of us. Right there, published. A Methodist. Yeah, he says, this is interesting. And the title of the article, How Adventists Can Stop Growing. <laughs> Ah. So what am I saying, folks? The, the God has given us standards, high standards, yes, but we can live them if we are willing to be transformed from within, transformed by His Spirit. This is not legalism. This is what did I say earlier? Loyalism. That's right. Not legalism. It is loyalism. Ah. Now, I'm going to hand out, give you a handout right here, and I'll tell you why for our last uh, 30 minutes here or so. Here's a handout. I need help again, guys. Say thanks, Casey and, and uh, Tim. I appreciate this. This is a handout on Bible stories because Bible stories have caused so many uh, problems, and, and I'm using with problems in the sense of like my buddy who was, uh, uh, we were <clears throat> student missionaries together way back uh, several years ago, and um, we were as student missionaries. He was a brilliant young man. Uh, I just, I, I, I had a good friendship with him. Um, but after he came back to the United States, 
he, uh, many years later, he'd gotten married, and uh, then he was reading Bible stories. Did you hear what I said? He is reading what? Bible stories. Now, Bible stories in and of themselves are okay, but they can be very dangerous. Ah, did you hear what I just said? He told me on the phone, 20 years after we were roommates, he called me up and he said, listen, Ron, I have been studying patriarchal plural marriage. Does anybody know what patriarchal plural marriage is? Polygamy. Polygamy. Be careful when people use highfalutin terminology for simple things. Ah, and I said, yes, let's call him Billy. Yes, Billy, and so what? By the way, Dr. Tim, I have a few more here if people run out. Yeah. I said, so, Billy, he said, he said and, and I mentioned before, he's been studying the lives of these Bible characters, the stories of them, and he decides that God is calling upon him to have more than one wife. I'm not joking. I tried to reason with him on the telephone. I didn't seem to get anywhere. Then I asked him the next question. I said, Billy, what does your wife, let's call her Anne, what does your wife Anne think about it? Because that's a very good question, you know, if the guy wants to get another wife. And you know what his answer was? She hasn't seen the light yet. <laughs> How many of you who are married are ready to see that light. <laughs> That's what he said to me. She hasn't seen the light. I tried to convince him. I mean, he was my roommate. We're very good friends, by the way. And this guy's brilliant. I mean it. I would go out for a jog. I'd come up with a tune. I'd walk in and I'd say, Billy, sit down at the piano. I've got a new song. He would sit and he would play as I sing. And by the time he plays it the second or third time, he had all the rest of the chords. This guy was absolutely brilliant. But he started looking. He's a Seventh-day Adventist. Are you, here? Are you with me? He was a Seventh-day Adventist. He started going to look for a second wife. He did. He wasn't joking. I know his pastor. I just saw his pastor in October. And when that woman found out that he was already married, she was going to be the second wife, she disappeared. Then he went in search of another one. But why? He is following Bible stories. A Abraham, was he a godly man? Was he the father of the faithful? Oh, yes. Did Abraham have more than one wife? Oh, yes. Bible stories can mislead you if you misinterpret them. That's the key question. So I am going to suggest to you here, everybody have a copy? Keep that sign-up sheet going here as fast as you can. Let's look at these important things here. Okay. Um, a consideration of consequences. We've dealt with it before. I'm just reminding you. There are two ways of deciding, of making decisions. One is teleological, results-oriented. What will happen if I do this? What will happen if I do that? And what did we say? Who alone knows the future? God. So how should we make decisions? Let's give you a big word. Notice the language there. What does it say? Deontological. Ah, nice big word. It means simply do what is right and leave the consequences with God. Go down to number three. I want you to read that with me together. Capital A, number three. Are you ready? True Christian principle will not stop to weigh consequences fascinating statement. That statement is made when it is talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they faced that fiery furnace, they had to make a decision. Either you look at the consequences or you look at the commandments of God. Simple choice. And what does the, this statement say? True Christian principle will not stop the way consequences. When you're faced with those decisions, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Do you know what's going to happen five minutes from now? Does anybody know what's going to happen five minutes from now? No. 
No. I remember when I was in Michigan that there were people in a hotel minding their own business when an airplane came and crashed into the hotel and obliterated them. It could happen right here in the next minute. Am I right? I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. So think about it. If you don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, how much more? Just be faithful unto God. Don't worry about the future. That's his business. That's his business. My task, your task, is to lovingly obey him. Let him take care of the results. Let's go to number four. Read with me now. PP, that stands for a book called Patriarchs and Prophets, page 634. Are you ready? In deciding upon any course of action, we are not to ask whether we can see that harm will result from it, but whether it is in keeping with the will of God. So when you ask the question, Pastor, how should we make decisions? How? Is this in accord with the what? With the will of God. Don't worry about whether you can see that harm will result from it. Let's go to number five. Let's read number five. This is from a book called Testimonies, Volume 4. Are you ready? It is better to what? To die than to sin. Better to want than to defraud. Better to hunger than to lie. Wow. Strong words, a strong call. So what is the purpose of Bible stories? Let's go to that. First Corinthians, it says there's scripture stories as moral models. Let's go there to First Corinthians chapter, six, uh, chapter 10, verse 6 and verse 11. By the way, everybody put your name on the sheet for the sesh on session 4. Okay, everybody has session 4. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Why are there Bible stories there? Many people go to verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and they often go to verse 11. And a gentleman who I uh, studied, studied his view of ethics, spent uh, many years researching and studying this. He says, uh, yes, look at verse 11. That's where he starts. He goes to, let's go to verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, in samples, the King, the King James says, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So he says, ah, you look at Rahab, that's your example. Rahab is your example. Rahab lied to save life, therefore you should do the same. Go back to verse 6. Let's back up five verses. Ah, don't take one verse out of context. You read the whole thing, and verse 6 captures the concept. Now these things became our examples. Sounds like the same thing, isn't it? Why? Notice the why. To the intent, for the purpose, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now here's my question. How do you know, how do I know what is good and what is evil? Paul himself said, I would not know. You wouldn't know. Except you wouldn't know except the, the law tells me what is good and what is evil. So how do we know whether what Rahab did was right or wrong? The law. We have to go back to the Ten Commandments. Paul says it. You're right. Paul is very clear. I wouldn't know what's right or wrong except for the commandments. I wouldn't know what's good or evil except for the commandments. You never look at the results because you don't know the results. I promise you I'm going to give you a secret to making decisions for the rest of your life, and that's the secret. Do what is right and leave results with God. You never have to calculate. If I do this, what's going to happen? And if I don't do this, what's going to happen? In fact, let me ask you the question. How many of you are single? Raise your hands. Don't be afraid. No trick question. How many are single? Oh, that's more than half of you. Good. Now, imagine. And I'm going to use Dr. Tim. He's a personal friend here. Okay? Imagine. And I know he's friends with a young lady. 
But imagine this young lady, he's thinking, I, I want to be friends with her. If I ask her, if I can date her, and she says, no, I'll be embarrassed, I'll be hurt. <laughs> but if I don't ask her, I might never have the chance. Does he know, does he know what the results are going to be? No, he has no idea. He has no idea. So he simply has to pray and say, God, what is your will for me? Because he doesn't know. That young lady has a choice. She can either say yes, she can say no, she can say, hang on, let me think about it, let me pray about it, okay? You don't know the future. You have no idea. Question, if the Nazi come to my door, example, he, the guy told me himself, he was a, a nine-year-old boy. His name was Gerhard. I was there in the meeting when Gerhard told the story. He lived in Austria during the Nazi takeover. And they took a 12-year-old Jewish boy into their home to protect and look after him. And Gerhard was a young boy, nine years of age. And he and Fritz became good friends. I heard the story myself in 1994 from Gerhard before he got killed in a car accident. He says, and sure enough, one day, there was the knock on the door. His mother opened the door. The Gestapo, the Nazi soldier, looked her in the eye and said, Mrs. Hazel, do you have Fritz in your home? By the way, when the knock came, Fritz heard the knock, and he jumped into the nearest closet, okay? <laughs> you know, little kid, right? That loud knock, and he's into the closet. And, and here's the question. Mrs. Hazel, do you have Fritz in your home? Wow. She's got a choice. Many of us think she's got two choices. Uh, she's got five, at least five. God has a thousand ways of which we don't know. Uh, we only see two ways. Isn't that true? Mrs. Hazel had a brilliant answer, a spirit provided answer. And by the way, Jesus says, if we spend time and we get to know him, the Holy Spirit will bring back to remembrance whatever I have taught you. Isn't that true? And the Lord brought it to her mind. She looked the Gestapo in the eye and she said, as an officer of the German army, you know what your responsibility is. What has she done? She put the responsibility back on him. It's not my responsibility. You know what your responsibility is, and you're welcome to search my house. Did she lie? No. Did she tell the truth? She said, it's your job. I'm not going to answer your question. You're welcome to carry out your responsibility. But she put the responsibility on him. The man looked. Gerhard, nine-year-old, stood there, watched all this happening. Says the Nazi soldier looked at his mom turned and walked away. Yes. Never forget the story. Told a year before he got killed in an auto accident. God has a thousand ways. There are times we can just say, see for yourself. There are times all the time when we should be praying, God, if you want to deliver me, it's up to you. Isn't that true? I trust you. There are other times, like Moses, we can say, Lord, take my life. There was a bishop. His name was Firmus. Never forgot that. He came to the emperor. He was hiding people. The emperor said, tell me where those people are or you will be executed. He said, fine, I'll die. <laughs> and I love his name, Firmus, Bishop Firm, us. F-I-R-M-U-S. That was his name. Bishop Firmus stood firm. He said, you can take my life. I will not reveal where the people are. There are times we must be willing to die for people. Isn't, what does Jesus say? Greater love has no man than this. That what? 
Let a man lay down his life for his friends. There are many options, folks. And sometimes God steps in, sometimes He doesn't. One of the most incredible stories came recently. Oh, I love the story. I bought, I bought the book. You've heard the story to remind you. It happened in Atlanta. It happened there uh, in 2005, March 11. Brian Nichols was six foot six, former football player, was being taken by a five foot. Why did they do that? But the five foot two female with a gun from the holding cell into the courtroom. He grabs her, takes her gun, runs into the courthouse, shoots and kills the judge, shoots and kills the court reporter, runs out, and as he runs out, uh, uh, another security guard hears the commotion, but before he can react, Brian Nichols shoots and kills him. He escapes from the courthouse. And on his way, he comes across a federal marshal. He comes to the guy and he's, he wants to steal his truck and the guy pulls out his gun. But Brian Nichols is ready because he is already a multiple killer and he shoots and kills the federal marshal. Kills four people, takes the guy's gun, takes his truck and he's on his way. And the entire city of Atlanta is in lockdown. You remember the story three years ago? Some of you might not recall it, but you'll remember this part. It was midnight that night. There was a young lady, a single woman, uh, a, a mother of a child. Her name, Ashley Smith. She was unpacking uh, in her new apartment. It was 2 o'clock on, on Saturday morning. That happened Friday. Saturday morning, 2 o'clock. She, she was now, by the way, working to become, to get her feet on the ground. She was, had been into drugs and all those things. She was still struggling, but she was on her way back to the Lord. She was reading a devotional book. And... and she goes out to buy cigarettes at 2 o'clock in the morning because she's craving, you see? Once you're in the grip of the devil, you do crazy things. 2 o'clock on a Saturday morning, she had to go and get her smoke. She goes out, and as she comes back, Brian Nichols grabs her and takes her hostage in her own home. Make a long story short, he taped her up. She, he said, do you know who I am? She said, no. She really didn't. She was unpacking all day. She hadn't been watching television. So he turns on the TV, and there's his face on every, you know, CNN. Brian Nichols, multiple murderer, escapes today. Her eyes are big. Whoa. Sure enough, same guy. He took off his cap that he had on, shaven-headed. Six-foot-six fellow. She's taped up and everything. And uh, she realized she's in a very dangerous situation. She decides to reach his heart. She says, she says, my main focus was three things. My child, she had a five- or six-year-old daughter. I have to stay alive for my child, she said. And I have to make sure that Brian Nichols doesn't carry on on his killing spree, and I have to reach him for the Lord. She began to talk to him. She began to tell him about her, her husband who had been stabbed to death. She said, and here's his death certificate. She showed it to him, stabbed to death. And he, she said to him, if you kill me, my child will be an orphan. She reached for the man's heart. Hour after hour, she talked. She said, by the way, I'm reading a book. If you don't mind, let me read to you. He, she said, go ahead. She, she started reading her devotional book. Amen. He said, wait a minute, read that again. And then she said, she realized she'd gotten through when he said, read that again. She said, suddenly she realized she was getting through. Make a long story short, seven hours she was held hostage. Five o'clock in the next morning, he says to her, by the way, Ashley, the truck I stole is outside your door. Would you go with me? I need to get rid of it. She, she said, yes. Okay, so she gets in her car, he gets in the truck. And they drive about two miles to a country road where he can just leave the car on the side of the road, the truck. She is sitting in her car. And she's thinking, what do I do now? 
but she had gained his trust. He knew she was a Christian. She would stick with her word. I'll wait for you. I'll take you back. He trusted her. They get back to the apartment. He says, hey, man, she says, he says, I'm hungry. She says, okay, I'll make you a southern breakfast. TV is on, by the way, with this Brian Nichols, multiple murderer. She cooks him a breakfast. She keeps telling him, and listen, man, listen, I've, I've got an appointment to see my kid in the morning at 9 o'clock. I've got to go. I can't disappoint Paige. Make a long story short. As time goes on, he says to her, listen, is there anything around the house I can do for you? You've just moved in. I can put pictures up. <laughs> I can put up the mirror. And she says, listen, I've got to leave in a few minutes. And he puts his hand in his pocket, folks. And he takes out the $40 cash that he got when he killed that other guy, as far as we know. He says, listen, here, you take this. I'm not going to need it. He's going to turn himself in. She gets in her car at 9 o'clock. She drives off. As once she's gone, she calls 911 and she says, uh, by the way, you guys are looking for Brian Nichols? He's at my home. He's what? <laughs> yeah, he spent the night there. <laughs> no, we don't believe you. You've got to take us there. No way. He's got two guns. No, you've got to take us there. You've got to point out where the house is. Uh, we'll take... Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. She takes them to the house, to the apartment. Brian Nichols comes out with a white towel. No bullets fired. Brian Nichols said to her, thank you, Ashley. You're like an angel sent from God to me. And you know what? Very interesting. The attorney, I don't believe, I don't think he's a Christian. The attorney said this. I'm reading you. Of course, she had to get an attorney. Why? Because when people read what happened, she got, I think, 210 marriage proposals. <laughs> Guys called in and said, whoa, I want a woman like that. Oh, no. I mean, she was flooded. And she got an attorney to try to keep some sanity around her. But her, <laughs> her attorney says this. I don't mean this sarcastically. I'm quoting. But a widowed 26-year-old mother was able to do in seven and a half hours of talking and praying what all the cops and all the guns and all the radios and all the agencies could not do. Huh? That's in the news. What am I saying, folks? There are a thousand ways if we are willing to step forward by faith. And Ashley Smith then made this public statement. Here is her statement. She said, you know, I want to thank everyone for their prayers and support. She wrote a statement. She read it in public before the television crew over the last few days. I want to extend my deepest sympathy. And she mentions all of those, the families of those who got killed. And then she says, as I'm sure you can imagine, this event has been extremely difficult and exhausting for me up all night and my extended family. I have experienced just about every emotion one could imagine in the span of a few days. Listen to this. Throughout my time with Mr. Nichols, I continued to rely on my faith in God. Amen. God helped me through tough times before, and he will help me now. Amen. What am I saying? He, amazing. You know what, what is incredible? The policemen came to her, and they asked her if they could come to teach them how to deal with hostage situations. <laughs> I'm not joking. 
They asked her, they did. They asked her to come and train them how to be a hostage negotiator. The governor got involved. She didn't even know there was a reward. She ended up, they gave her $70,000. She hadn't done it for that. She did it because it was right to do. We must do what's right and leave the results with God. Incredible, incredible story. Here's the picture. She was on the front page of People magazine. And you know, People magazine, I don't subscribe to it, I don't buy it, but every now and then I see an incredible story and I buy it. People magazine, there it is, an incredible story. Ashley Smith, a story, and by the way, it was all over the world. It was in other countries, her picture was all over. An incredible hero, why? Didn't worry about the consequences. She said, I had to do the right thing. And by the way, oh, I should have told you, the guns were sitting there in the bathroom. While Brian was having breakfast, she went to the bathroom. The guns were sitting there. She said, I had a chance. I could have grabbed the guns. She said, I didn't want to. The guns were sitting there. She said, I believe Brian Nichols was brought to my door by God so that the killing could stop. How many of us would say that? Incredible story. Wow. I collect stories of those nature. There are people who are willing and are willing to reach out to hurting souls who need the Lord. Okay, I, I took a little extra time I needed to for that story. I want you to go through these principles quickly here. Um, notice, you can read them at home. Okay, consider the complete chronicle. Don't create Bible superstars. We all love to do that. We look at Joseph and Esther and we make them sinless people. Did you know that Joseph and Esther sinned? Did you know that? Read the Bible carefully. I've counted uh, many of th strange things that happened in life about Joseph and Esther. Did you know that? Read the Bible carefully. These are human people. They made mistakes. <laughs> There's only one sinless Savior. And who's that? Jesus. Jesus. We love to create these superheroes like people had Lady Diana. Guess what? Lady Diana had many, many problems, folks. Oh, okay. And I bought a book. I read it through. I'm not a Lady Die fan, but when I saw this book, I read it cover to cover. And they said, she was a wonderful woman. She was a humanitarian. However, and they listed all of the problems throughout the book. And the book was written by another woman. But we love to create our own superstars. The Bible tells the story the way it is. Shows human beings with all of their warts <laughs> and failures. And that gives us courage to know that, yes, if God can save them, he can save us as well. <laughs> okay. Number two, consistency with available information. Don't contradict scripture. I have a friend of mine, he's a theologian. He said, Jochebed was a liar. There's nothing in scripture that makes her a liar. He made her a liar so that we can also lie. <laughs> Strange things people try to do. Number three, clear contextual implications. I remember sitting in, in church one day and the, one of the, uh, the associate pastor of this big church got up to tell a story about Obadiah who was uh, helping King Ahab back then during the famine. Remember the story? And he was going out looking for food and water and, and this pastor said, wait a minute, food and water? There's no food and water? And the Bible says that Obadiah took a hundred prophets, put them in two caves, 50 in a cave, and fed them with food and water. So the pastor said, where do you think Obadiah got the food and water? He worked in the palace of the king. Where do you think he got the food and water to feed them? And everybody started laughing because they all came to the same conclusion, basically. He stole it. And the pastor was basically very clearly, I'm not doing as good a job as he, implying there are times when it's okay to steal for God's prophets. And I sat there and I thought, <gasps> he speculated. It's not in the, in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? What happened during the time of Elijah when there was no food and water? 
God sent ravens. Wouldn't it be wonderful to, to, to go within the context and say, imagine a whole flock of ravens were coming along into the cave like bats flying around delivering their food. If God can do it for Elijah, couldn't he have done it for a hundred prophets? Let's not speculate in order to make excuses for us to break God's law. And unfortunately, that's what people sometimes do. I talked about chronological readings of the text. I pointed out to you, don't confuse biblical timelines. David was a man after God's own heart. Only when he was a single saintly shepherd, the Bible indicates. Compatibility with the Decalogue. Don't think that silence means it's okay. Sometimes the Bible doesn't say, bad boy. Okay, the story of Tamar. You remember that? Tamar went and got uh, her father-in-law to get her pregnant. Long, make a long story short. By the way, are you going to come back? Because I want to give you your book. Okay. You've been here for all the sessions? Yes. I, I can't let you go without giving you your book to you and your son. Okay, God bless you. <laughs> Dinner duty. Uh, it was you, just you, okay. Yeah, you've been there four sessions. Honesty, okay. Yeah. Honesty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for doing dinner duty. We've got a few more minutes here. We'll finish up here five or ten minutes maximum. Okay. If you've been here for four sessions, I'll give you a copy as you leave. Are you here for four sessions? Uh, no. Three. Oh, three? Okay. All right. Uh, complete. Uh, go back to the Bible. Tamar. She got her father-in-law to impregnate her. Strange story, but it's in the Bible. But you know, there's no condemnation in Genesis 19 whatsoever for Tamar's actions. And you know what's interesting? Tamar had twins. And the twins had kids. And guess who came through that line? Jesus came through the line of Tamar's incestuous promiscuity. What do we do? We say, oh, it's okay? No, no. Yeah, there's the Bible shows that there's, this was done during either the time of rebellion. We don't simply say, it's, the Bible doesn't condemn it. Oh, yes, the Bible does. You have to read the other parts of the Bible. In the story, you might not find condemnation. If there's no condemnation in the story, that doesn't mean it's okay. In the story of Rahab, there's no condemnation in Joshua chapter 2, but that doesn't mean it's okay. You have to go to the Ten Commandments. You have to go to other places in the Bible. Finally, conformity to Christ's example. Don't blindly follow Bible characters. Only Jesus is our example. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, Follow my example even as I also follow Jesus Christ. So the only way we should follow Bible examples is when they follow Jesus Christ. He is the only perfect model of morality. Do you believe that? Okay, now, if you want a summary, and you want to say, but, but Dr. Dupree, you've given us so much in four hours, you've packed in 40 hours. Here, number two, that's all you need to know. If anybody asks you six vital factors for biblical ethics, for any and every issue, prescriptions for humanity, John 14, verse 15 says what? If you love me, ah, there's the reason for obedience. Reason for obedience is love for God. Keep, ah, that's a responsibility. Keep, and my commandments, that's the requirements. Do you follow that? In that one verse is our responsibility. If you love me, reason, keep, responsibility, my commandments, the requirements. So that's the love of God, the law of God, and loyalty to God. That's our part. What about God's part? The prerogatives of deity found in one verse, Revelation 2 verse 10, which says, Fear none of these things you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death. In simple terms, the results of obedience, leave it to God. The rewards of obedience, e uh, eternal life, 
life with God, the resources for, for obedience. That is, he says, I will give you. You'll get lots from God. That's God's business. So we have our responsibility. God has his responsibility. Two texts cover every way to make decisions. One is God's, one is ours. There's only those two texts you need to know. If you learn them, you understand the principles, you'll know everything you know, need to know as to how to make proper biblical decisions. You didn't get a copy. So right at the end, let's close here with a story. One story and we'll have prayer. It happened in Poland. Poland? Yes. Again, World War II. The Nazis had taken over. Things were desperate. The, the baker next door had sold bread to a Jew. A Polish baker sold bread to a Jew. What do you think happened? They threw him into a concentration camp. Mrs. Knapiuk and her daughter, Marion, were living in a one-bedroom apartment, not bothering anybody. And one day, without warning, they heard pounding up the stairs to their little one-bedroom apartments. And no knocking, the door flew open, and in rushed a little girl, barely a teenager. And as she rushed in, she went in. They had, of course, just one room where there was a bed. She took a dive under the bed. What do you think they realized was happening? She was running from the Nazis. Correct. They hadn't invited her in. They had done nothing. They were just minding their own business. And they knew that the baker was thrown into the concentration camp for selling bread to a Jew. Now you know what that means. Here you have an uninvited guest. Mrs. Knapik was a Seventh-day Adventist who loved the Lord. Amen. What to do right now? But you see, she had her focus in the right place. So she grabbed her Bible. She sat down at that little kitchen table in that one-bedroom apartment. Her, her daughter, Marion, wrote the story. And she said, my mom started to pray and seek for the Lord's guidance. It wasn't long when a heavier tread was heard coming up those stairs and in burst a Nazi soldier. And there was Mrs. Knopjuk at the kitchen table spending time with Christ. He looked at her, paused for a moment, and uttered two words in German, good woman, and turned around and walked out. <laughs> why am I telling you the story? You know why, folks? Too many times you and I focus on the crisis instead of focusing on the Christ. Mrs. Knapjuk had her focus in the right place. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Make sure your focus is on Jesus, on the, the living word, on Jesus through the written word. And he will provide the best answer, whether it be the Nazi walking away or like Boris Kornfeld, faithful unto death, but the blood of the martyrs is seed. And because Kornfeld died, Alexander Solzhenitsyn has become a huge blessing globally to many Christians, many suffering Christians, because Kornfeld died, Solzhenitsyn accepted Jesus, and he was able to write and encourage many, many others because of the faithfulness unto death of Dr. Boris Kornfeld. So as we close today, I want us to sing one more time, Thy word have I hid deep down in my heart that I might not sin against thee, my God. Stand as we sing that together, and then I'm going to have a prayer. 
In fact, um, I'm going to ask Dr. Tim Riesenberger if you would pray for us. God will bless us to stand for the right though the heavens fall, but to do it in a Christ-like, compassionate, caring manner. Thy word have I hid. Thy word have I hid. Deep down in my heart. Deep down in my heart. That I might not sin. That I might not sin. Against thee, my God, open the mine eyes that I may behold great things in thy law. So shall I keep it continually. Thy word is a lamp, a light to my path. The law of thy mouth. myself in thy statutes, O Lord, and rejoice in thy way. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have not left us to grope our way through this world. Amen. But that your, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Mm. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are not left to guess what it means, but you have lived Amen. the example for mm. us, mm. that you have spoken always the truth in love, mm -hmm. and that you personified what it means to be a Christian. Amen. And Lord Jesus, we know that you were truly faithful unto death. Amen. We just ask for the privilege to follow in your footsteps this day and every day in your name.